Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters. In this half of the show, we'll continue our focus on the Milledgeville Edenton Film Festival by previewing one of the films to be screened during this year's festival. Life and the Lady makes its U.S. debut during the Surreal Life Shorts Block at 2 p.m. Saturday, April 27th in the Arts and Sciences Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. I'm joined tonight by Life and the Lady director, writer, and producer Mika Dunstan. Mika Dunstan, thank you for joining me on Milledgeville Matters. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I'm super honored to be interviewed and to be part of the festival. All right. Well, we are looking forward to welcoming you to Milledgeville. Of course, uh, right now we're talking to you over the phone. But uh, Mika, I've had the opportunity to view nothing more than the preview of Life and the Lady and read some of the promotional materials. And so I'll ask you, can you introduce Life and the Lady to our radio audience? Life and Lady is a short film. It took about seven years uh, to conceptualize, raise the money for, and produce. Our logline for the film is, after mysteriously falling into the water, a young woman struggles with an existential choice to take the breath and surrender or remain attached to all that she is. Time falls away and moments and memories become fragmented as she experiences the true understanding of her fate. So that's essentially, in a, in a, in a nutshell, what Life and the Lady is. It took us about seven years, four to raise the money and uh, complete the script, three to cast and shoot uh, for post-production, visual effects, sound, and final completion. And we had several gorgeous locations, and shooting underwater with a Red Dragon camera in 50-degree waters is not advisable, but we did it. (laughs) The real threat of hypothermia and accidents is always present, of course. Uh, Luckily, we had support scuba divers and crew to help warm the actress. Looking at the preview, it looks to be a a very, uh, I'd almost say lusciously beautiful film, bathed in beautiful light. Um, Of course, as you just mentioned, uh, a lot of um, underwater uh, scenery. And I imagine a a lot of, shall we say, acrobatics on behalf of of your your cast, but also I imagine the production crew. Yeah, well, there's a whole story to this. Independent filmmaking is is a breed unto itself, and I'll touch on that later when we talk about it. But we kind of wanted to deliver a story that had both a conscious and, and unconscious message. So we worked hard on the sound design and music to complement the sublime visuals. I had to get scuba certified as a director of photography myself and the actress. Also, I had scuba certified for her safety and for her ability to enhance her acting underwater. Uh, of course, all the actresses who auditioned said they can do it. They all say they can do it, and they're all told to say yes. The problem is we're in a kind of a life-threatening situation. We're doing a pretty heavy stunt here. So I had two auditions, one with the actresses in a dry location and one at a wet location underwater. And you'd be surprised, you know, 90% of them just crashed when they hit the water. But I had a very talented Parisian actress named Camille Grenier come along, and she pulled it off wonderfully. Well, and I'm I'm curious, um, when you first conceived of this film, did you know all of the uh, challenges that it might propose? Or was that part of uh, the challenge of lighting off into this uh, cinematic journey? That's a really great question. I graduated from Film Corps at San Francisco State University, and they used to tell us, you're lucky to get 60% of your original vision out on film. There's so many moving pieces to a film project and so many unpredictable variables that one should expect change to happen. The reality of independent filmmaking is that much like your famous building there in Milledgeville, I liken it to an insane asylum. 
<laughs> I've started a nonprofit, jumped out of an airplane, dove with sharks, and by far, this film, Life and the Lady, was the most difficult and costly thing I've ever done. But, you know, I can't stop being who I am. A turtle can't stop being a turtle, as I tell my friends and colleagues. Well, when you just um, said in, in, that, in your last response that uh, you should expect to see 60% of your original vision, in using that context about how much of your original vision is what we'll see on the screen in Life and the Lady. Wow. So along the lines of moving pieces, you know, the story did move along as we produced it and then also in the editing room. So new components were coming in the editing room. Now, this I would consider more of an artistic film with a narrative backbone. So if you really enjoy, as you said, really beautiful visuals, and if you really enjoy allegory, you might like this film. To answer your question, I would say 70%. Oh, well, that's very good. I mean, that's a, um, a shooting high. And of course, um, you mentioned earlier that uh, this is a seven years long journey. And that's, I imagine, from the, the way you said it, that's longer than you'd hoped it would be. But when you're seeing that um, you shot above what they taught you in school, um, was that uh, prolonged journey uh, worth it for you? I, I think the litmus test is when you get into festivals, and I'm so grateful to the Milledgeville-Edenton Festival for, for having us there, because that's really when you find out whether the audience absorbs the message or not. Now, there's a lot of different types of filmmakers, narrative filmmakers anyway, but I, I seem to notice they come down to a couple of things. One is they like to entertain. Now, that's an obvious one because uh, mainstream Hollywood understands that. I tend to take more of a thought-provoking approach. So I'd like them to come away with something. Now, we, when you watch Life and a Lady, you're going to come away with a sense, and I, and I made the film like this, the sense of that I want to see it again. Because there are bits and pieces of allegory in there and you really have to kind of power down your cell phone and pay attention because every single piece of dialogue and every single piece of music and every piece of sound was very carefully placed and so if you turn to your friend or if you look at your phone you're going to miss something i mean it's that packed with symbolism and visuals and do you think a film like this is more appropriate for a film festival audience uh, than a venue uh, such as the Cinema 6 in any town USA? Oh, absolutely. Certainly the benefits of coming to a film festival are that not only that you get to meet the filmmakers and you get to hear the panels and the events that take place. And of course, you get an up close and personal view or message uh, from the filmmakers themselves. And when I watch the Oscars, I always pay attention to the shorts category because those are the filmmakers that aren't influenced by the Hollywood money, it's a message from their heart. You know, it's a message from their soul. And I really appreciate and encourage people to, to watch the Academy shorts because those are some, some really amazing short films. And I'm curious, when a filmmaker approaches a project that they conceive of uh, for film festivals, do they approach the project differently uh, than they would perhaps a film that is made for television or a film that might have a traditional debut at, again, the, the Cinema 6? One, one of the things that we have to think about as independent filmmakers, we have to look at the broad vision. Now, my film started, my script was 13 pages, which they, they imagine about a minute a page, but I didn't take into account how much it would morph. <laughs> so it ended up 20 minutes, but it, 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 you know, it goes by fast because the story is packed. But you have to think about, as a short filmmaker, you have to think about your output and your distribution because a lot of film festivals want the 8 to 12 minute range film. So that's kind of what I was shooting for 
but uh, missed. <laughs> but say, for example, Cannes Film Festival, they have a maximum of 15 minutes. You can't submit a film longer than 15 minutes. So there are things that we have to think about without compromising our initial vision and our message and what we want to say. That having been said, my next projects, as far as shorts go, will come in around the 8 to 12 minute range because I really want the message to be heard. You're not going to spend this long on a project and have it be disqualified from a festival because it was too long for their program. In this case, Milledgeville was, was fabulous in having me there, and, and there are other films in my block as well, which is an amazing block, by the way. The Surreal Life block is, is, is one to come down and see if you really appreciate art and, and, and messages that are a little different and offbeat. Well, I'm curious um, to go back uh, just a little bit to what you were saying. Um, as uh, you saw those hard deadlines for uh, many film festivals, especially ones that uh, someone like myself who's not as familiar with the film festival world, uh, like Cannes, um, you saw the, the clock ticking longer than that which would qualify you to present in that festival. How did you go about uh, making that trade-off uh, to allow it to go longer, um, therefore potentially compressing your audience, but uh, staying truer to uh, the vision that, um, from what I'm hearing, you found while you were making the film? That's a really hard one, Daniel. That's, that's, I had to leave a beautiful dolly sequence between three alcoves on the floor, and I didn't want to. But what, the reality of it is when I went back to the story and I started reading more and more articles about what film festivals are looking for, I was like, whoa, okay, so I really have to, have to really kind of streamline some of these things. And and since I edited myself, now they don't recommend filmmakers edit yourself, but I've been a, a promotional video maker for, for over a decade and went to film school. So I felt confident in my ability to edit, and it turned out pretty well. I had two screenings, industry screenings, where friends came from ILM and the Academy of Art, and everyone filled out a questionnaire to tell me what they thought. So, you know, I tried to pare it down as much as I could without losing too much of the story. And that's a difficult thing to do. You have to make some tough, tough choices with your story. And then you have to anticipate what your audience is going to walk away with. And you, you, you don't want, want, to walk, want them to walk away too confused, <laughs> but, you, but you want them to walk away with something. Now, this isn't a 100% experimental film, but it's experimental in the sense that we use three or four different genres. So we have narrative, a bit of experimental, some documentary, and fantasy in there. So... It's experimental in that sense, and I'd encourage folks to come on down and and, and check it out because it's really something you're not going to see anywhere else. You're listening to an interview with the filmmaker Mika Dunstan. He's the director, writer, and producer of the film Life in the Lady, which will make its United States premiere during the Surreal Life Shorts Block, which takes place at 2 p.m. Saturday, April 27th, in the Arts and Sciences Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. Of course, this is all part of the Milledgeville Edenton Film Festival, which we're covering tonight on a special edition of Milledgeville Matters. Stay tuned for more.
Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters. If you're just joining us, we are talking with director, writer, and producer Mika Dunstan about his film, Life in the Lady. Life in the Lady will make its Milledgeville and United States premiere during the Surreal Life Shorts Block at 2 p.m. on Saturday, April 27th as a part of the Milledgeville Eatonton Film Festival. You can learn more at milledgevillefilmfest.com. But for now, let's return to our conversation with filmmaker Mika Dunstan. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've talked a lot about the film, and um, we, you did mention the broad outline of uh, the narrative aspect of it, but we haven't talked too much about the story itself. Before uh, we actually launch into that, I ask you, you know, how did you conceive of the story you're presenting in Life and the Lady? I was a hospice volunteer, and I was able to be bedside with people who were passing, and honestly... I've done a lot of personal work around myself to believe that death is kind of one of the greatest Western myths that we're told. I really do have faith that there's something else. And uh, to me, it's a tragedy when people don't have faith of some kind, of any kind, because then what are you looking forward to? I mean, what, 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 what are you doing this for? It really, call, it really puts a person in more of a question place in life versus having some kind of sense or grounding in faith whatever that faith may be. So while I don't focus too much on that aspect, that's kind of where the story came from, is that I see a lot of fear of death in this world. And what if death wasn't death? I mean, what if, what if there's something else? And so it kind of emerged from its chrysalis and moved into a three-page drowning sequence and into a 16-page narrative. Really, the main thing is to ascribe your own personal meaning to it. And, and a, lot of, a lot of filmmakers might say the same thing, too. I leave a lot of questions, and I want the viewer to come in and, and start to analyze those questions and really think. We're, we're really missing thought-provoking films in this world, I think. Entertainment is great. Uh, I think that, you know, in these particular times in our, in our world, in our country, that we need to just ask ourselves some questions about how we move through the world and how do we, how do we feel things are going on the big scale and on the internal scale too. So people are going to watch the film and walk away with whatever they're going to walk away with. But I hope they walk away with a sense of wanting to examine those questions, wanting to ask themselves, well, what do I believe about death? What do I believe about the end? Is there anything? And hopefully they sign up for a philosophy course. (laughs) You know, Well, I'm curious, why do you feel that cinema is the proper medium to start that conversation with your audience? I spent a long time searching, and I kind of did everything in reverse. Uh, A lot of people start searching later in life when they get around retirement. Well, I did it when I graduated college. I put on a backpack and a one-way ticket, and I went to Europe and just was a gypsy for a while so I could live a little life and potentially have something to, to say in filmmaking. But I feel like I'm the kind of filmmaker that's not so much the entertainment filmmaker as the filmmaker who has a message and wants, wants the message to reach the mountaintop. I mean, obviously the top of the mountain would be the Oscars, but getting up there and getting, you know, getting your message seen and heard and delivered by people such, such like the Milledgeville Film Festival is really an amazing thing. I mean, I've found out through this festival experience that what I mostly want, you know, I don't, I'm not so concerned about you know, cameras, lights, and red carpets. I am concerned about an audience. People need to, to, to watch it and hear it and see the message. And hopefully they walk away with something that, that gives them a cause to think. As 
this is the U.S. debut of Life and the Lady. Are you at all concerned um, bringing this film to an audience that um, so often uh, elevates um, uh, lesser stories, um, those, as you describe on the website, uh, guns, drugs, courtrooms, and CSI everything. Does it concern you to bring this kind of film to a U.S. audience? Not at all. I think if we stay complacent in filmmaking, then we're just going to have more of the same. I'm the kind of person that likes to challenge perceptions. I'm the kind of person that likes to say, here, try something new. And I think there is an audience for that. And film festivals are a great audience for that. Oftentimes, people will be bringing in films. It's kind of like a little test tube to see how an audience reacts, how they take it. And judging by the response that we've had from this film, audiences are walking away with something. So that's, that's certainly a positive thing. Like I said, there's a, there's, there's a ton of other type of filmmakers and TV show producers and documentary filmmakers, and I honor every single one of them because this is really hard work. It's super hard work. As a matter of fact, if, if students are listening out there, I hope they are, keep going for that degree. <laughs> Filmmaking is really hard. Filmmaking is really hard. But yeah, I'm the kind of person that wants to challenge that. So luckily, there are films that particularly in my, in my block, the surreal life block that kind of say that kind of tell the audience what they're in for is something a little different. So, um, so in that sense, I feel uh, that both the Milledgeville film festival and my particular block uh, is a great place to have a film like this. You're listening to an interview with the filmmaker Mika Dunstan. He's the director, writer, and producer of the film Life in the Lady, which will make its United States premiere during the Surreal Life Shorts Block, which takes place at 2 p.m. Saturday, April 27th in the Arts and Sciences Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. Of course, this is all part of the Milledgeville Edenton Film Festival, which we're covering tonight on a special edition of Milledgeville Matters. Stay tuned for more. Thank you for staying tuned to Milledgeville Matters. If you're just joining us, we are talking with director, writer, and producer Mika Dunstan about his film, Life in the Lady. Life in the Lady will make its Milledgeville and United States premiere during the Surreal Life Shorts Block at 2 p.m. on Saturday, April 27th as a part of the Milledgeville Edenton Film Festival. You can learn more at milledgevillefilmfest.com. But for now, let's return to our conversation with filmmaker Mika Dunstan. You mentioned that there is a, a, quite a backstory to the production of this. So we talked about the longevity, um, but um, what were some of the other uh, journeys that you had to go on uh, just to bring life and the lady uh, to an audience? To start out with, 
I had to get scuba certified. My actress had to get scuba certified, as I mentioned previously. We had a pre-production death. We were training at our location in Woodside, California, and a, our friend and mentor, Jack Giddings, died suddenly from a heart attack. So that, that put us on a little tailspin, um, both losing a friend and losing our location. When, if um, I understand it, he was actually one of the people who was helping you with all of the underwater cinematography. Is that correct? Initially, uh, yes. Well, the, the lighting and helping us understand how electricity works underwater, because the wide shots in this film are shot in open water in Fallen Leaf Lake in Tahoe, and the, the close-up shots are shot in a pool. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do, safety was number one. So we wanted to make sure we knew what we were doing. And he had an a underwater studio. Uh, Jack had done some work in Hollywood, and he moved to Woodside and, and made a studio. And then shortly after my connection with him, we lost him. So that was, uh, that was one of the challenges we had. You know, the other, the other, of course, was budget. The budget came together through a number of, of, of sources to include Kickstart in 2011, a sound design grant provided by the Berkeley Film Foundation, and some small kind of donations from friends and family. Mostly, though, the money was raised with blood, sweat, and tears through the trenches of children's entertainment. So, <laughs> so I, moved, I, moved, well, I, hope I, moved, not, I hope there's not too much blood, sweat, and tears in children's entertainment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, true, sw true. the sweat and the tears, uh, of course. I have uh, two children of my own. Um, I understand those, but uh, we try to avoid the blood as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, metaphorical, since we're, we're talking in metaphors and allegory. In, in tandem with the, vo the promotional video work that I was doing from my uh, training in film school, I was also a children's entertainer for about 20 years, bending balloons and spreading smiles. So Life and Lady is a work of art that was created by, what I say, created by balloon art. <laughs> well, it seems like so a, a wonderful balance, though, um, the work with the children, but also uh, the work in the hospice. And this, this um, reflection um, that begins with a death, but is really meant to make people uh, rethink uh, their life. And so I think it, yeah, it, it, well, it must, have, must have been the only journey you could have taken. Uh, yeah, it, it was complex. And, uh, you know, I chose the artist's life and the artist's life wasn't easy. And, it, it, and honestly, I think it's the most difficult because in Europe, uh, art is a bit more funded and a bit more appreciated, I think, than, you know, the United States. And it's been very difficult for artists, particularly here where I'm calling from, uh, from the San Francisco Bay Area. I think I'm seeing a lot of friends moving out and being forced out who are artists. And it's a tough business. It's yeah. really tough business. It very much is. You mentioned that uh, this has been a, a labor of love. It's been uh, seven years into um, seeing this um, from ideation here to, um, I guess, you know, projection. Um, and um, I, my question is, uh, as we come closer to the end of our conversation today, you know, what's next for you? You've, you've done one of your dream films. Um, where do you go from here? Well, Life and the Lady wiped me out. So, uh, you know, we're talking, you know, seven years of, of budget saving and, uh, and with help uh, from the aforementioned budget sources. But when you come and see Life and the Lady, you'll see that there's beautiful locations. There's amazing costuming. It's just a, a visual feast. And from that, where do I go? Uh, I, I say it's my magna, magnum opus, but it's really my first breakout narrative. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I got to up the bar. Really, uh, I have to think about something I can afford, to be honest, because there's not a lot of funding for short films out there. So I can shoot for them, but, uh, you know, narrative short films are hard to fund. Uh, documentary, you might be able to find sources. 
But narrative short films are difficult, and those who have done them out there in the audience know that know how difficult that is. So what's next is another short film, uh, 8 to 12 minutes. The idea is to create a number of calling cards. And, you know, some people take their money and they go and they gamble it away or they spend it on a car or whatever. I prefer to take money that I've earned and saved and put it toward my bliss and put it toward my art and put it toward my craft. So basically, I kind of liken this to a, a big roll of the dice. And hopefully... Uh, somebody sees it, and, and the idea with Life and the Lady is someone sees it and says, hey, this guy's got potential, let's get him on a feature. So really, Life and the Lady is a calling card. It's, also, it, it's a personal message, but it's also, you know, the dual nature of it is also a calling card, so hopefully I can get other work. Yes, and and my hope is with um, with your dedication and the the thought and care that you put into this film that fortune will come calling for you now, as opposed to uh, chasing it as you have done um, with the production of Life and the Lady. That's very kind of you. Um, now, as uh, people want to find out more about this before they have the opportunity to see it in that surreal life shorts block at two p.m. on Saturday, um, how can they find out more about Life and the Lady? We'd really love to invite people down. To see Life and the Lady, you can find out more about the story, including a, a bunch of short, funny videos about how we made this, uh, some pictures, some pictures of the premiere, some pictures of the, the, the work in progress at lifeandlady.com. And I also really encourage people to go to the MillageVilleFilmFest.com website because uh, they've got some really great talent down there this year. And I can't stress enough that you'll get to see something new and different that you won't see at like a, a cinema complex. So uh, if you really do savor new and different and unique and emerging artists, then come down to the Milledgeville Film Fest, uh, MilledgevilleFilmFest.com. Uh, just, just as a reminder to the audience, we're, we're down at Saturday, Saturday, April 7th at the Surreal Life Block, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m., um, and uh, please, for more information, go down to milledgevillefilmfest.com uh, and come and see some unique artists and some unique pieces of work. Well, uh, Mika Dunstan, um, uh, those are all the questions I have for you, but I'd like to turn it over to you. If there's anything that I did not ask you about, um, or if there's anything we did talk about and you'd like to place a greater emphasis on, uh, I'd like to turn it over to you at the end of our conversation. Well, uh, thank you. There's a unique, uh, a unique anecdote I like to tell people about this film. Uh, so we were in Fallen Leaf Lake in Tahoe. You might remember the film The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Uh, they retreated to a lake, and that's the same lake that we filmed at. A beautiful lake, but, but nobody's gone underneath it. And when we, got, we went underneath it, we were like, wow, this is an amazing uh, just canvas. It's, it's crystal clear. And as we were filming, the water was very choppy and then very smooth. So it almost seemed like it had a life on its own. So I, I just found out last year that some divers went down, I don't know, I think on a tip, and found two bodies that had been sitting in that lake for God knows how long. Oh, wow. um, one, one was tied to an anchor. Ooh. So, <laughs> so it's along the lines of you know, having the horror sequence, the uh, horror block of films, at the Insane Asylum and, you know, really the film festival being billed as a Southern Goth event. I think that that is very odd in a film that is about death. And we had, we had some bodies in that lake. Maybe someone didn't pay their, their uh, casino bill. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is uh, we used the Academy of Art for our visual effects, and they were fantastic. And the Academy of Art, they have worked on Academy Award-nominated films, Catherine Tate and Studio X. 
just went to town and did an amazing job. So we have the powerhouse of uh, kind of a student artistic force on this film too, which I'm very proud about. Uh, the only other thing in this film I can think of is that, that uh, we were very close to locking Danny Glover in the film. And then in the end, he just had too much of a commitment and he was going to be too expensive. But we were talking with his people from, from Los Angeles. Uh, you know, it's always good to throw in uh, names that people recognize. But uh, on the flip side, it's also um, always good to give uh, another uh, actor uh, that shot, especially in a, a beautiful yeah. film like the one you've produced. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because the actor who was on standby took the role Joe Provost. And he filled in quickly and did a fabulous job in the interpretation of the character. He was in uh, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. So he's a minor character in that film, but he came in ours and just really knocked it out of the park. So everything happens for a purpose, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, Mika Dunstan, I want to thank you for joining me today and talking about your film, uh, Life and the Lady, on Milledgeville Matters. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me, Daniel. And, and uh, we'll see you down there, hopefully. Excellent. You've been listening to Milledgeville Matters and WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight, we took a special look at the Milledgeville Eatonton Film Festival, which begins tonight and runs through Sunday in venues in and outside of Milledgeville in Eatonton. In the first half of the hour, we talked to festival president and founder Jeremiah Bennett, and we just spoke with filmmaker Mika Dunstan about his film Life in the Lady, which will make its Milledgeville and United States premiere during the Surreal Life Shorts Block, which takes place at 2 p.m. on Saturday, April 27th in the Arts and Sciences Auditorium on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. To find out more about the Milledgeville Film Festival, go to milledgevillefilmfest.com. On behalf of WRGC, I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It has been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Millageville Matters, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.